book of Proverbs, and so we're into our second sermon over the, the book of Proverbs, and, and it's a book that, that God uses to impart his wisdom to us. We want to be wise, right? We want to live with wisdom. We want, to, we want to be wise with how we deal with this world. And so gaining wisdom from the book of Proverbs, it's an inexpensive way to gain wisdom, right? It, it's, it's prayerful, spirit-led study of God's word. And so that cost is pretty small. We typically gain wisdom the hard way, the more expensive way, and that's by making the mistake and learning from it. Right? Learning the hard way for some of us in here is the only thing we know. We're just so good at learning the hard way. And so many life experiences will cause us to learn the hard way. Kind of like the time my dad gave me a, a brick of bottle rockets and Roman candles and said, I want you to be really careful with these. And I was like, oh yeah, sure dad, I'll be, yeah, really careful with these. Absolutely. Careful is my middle name when you give a 15-year-old bottle rockets, right? I think within the hour of my dad giving me those bottle rockets and Roman candles, I had organized a bottle rocket war with about 10 or 15 of my friends. We set up bases. You had like 20 minutes to set up a base. We had like the, you know, sheet of plywood and whatever we could find, and we're, we're shooting bottle rockets. And you know how those things tend to escalate, right? You grab one bottle rocket, you light it, and you're waiting, and you throw it. I bet you I could tie two of them together. <laughs> you tie two of them together. I bet you three together would be even better. Well, to make a long story short, it wasn't long before that bottle rocket where I had a fence post that I could aim like a bazooka. And I had about 20 bottle rockets tied together. It took forever, it seemed like, while we're getting uh, bombarded with bottle rockets. And I remember standing up and lighting those. And if you've ever lit in 20 bottle rockets at the same time, the amount of sparks that fly back into your face as they propel themselves forward, it burnt my entire right eyebrow off, all of my eyelashes, and even burnt the contact out of my eye. It shriveled up and fell out. And so if you've ever had one of those days in which you have to live your normal life without one eyebrow and no eyelashes on the right side of your face, Everyone else has a really good time. <laughs> uh, I learned the hard way. I, I distinctly remember the next day in, in school, my friend passed me a note in class, and it said, hey, Cody, and I opened it up. and said, you look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being careful wasn't even uh, on the radar. I learned the hard way. Uh, tying that many bottle rockets together and being an idiot is not a good idea. But when, when you're young, taking risks... It just makes more sense, right? It makes sense to take risks when you're younger, and it makes sense even to take unnecessary risks. Because when you're young, you tend to not calculate the future as much as you do when you're older. So the older you get, the more you try to calculate the future and think about what lies ahead so you don't make mistakes that you have to pay for for a long time, like having to grow an eyebrow back for the next couple of months. Uh, right? And so when, when we parents try to impart our wisdom to our kids, that tends to be something, that tends to be a way that we do it. We want to emphasize the future. And so we tell our kids, hey, think about what you're doing now. You're young, and so you tend to live in the moment or just live for the moment. You tend not to think about how your decisions are going to impact your adult life. 
When you're a teenager, adult life just seems like something you'll do later. You'll deal with that later. But you learn that your decisions as a teenager have a huge impact on who you end up being and how you live your life and the quality of life that you have when you're an adult. And so when we parent our kids, we're like, hey, think about this. I want you to go in the, in the right direction in life. I want you to steer the right way, right? Because you care more, you care more about their future than they do. I mean, kids, if you only knew how much your parents care about your future, you would be so attentive when they try to lay some wisdom down on you, right? Like if my kids really knew and they really had a, 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 a firm understanding of how much I care about their future, whenever I got serious and have a conversation with them, they would be so much more attentive, right? Well, the, the passage that we're studying today is a moment in which a dad is sitting down with his son, and he's imparting wisdom to him. He's taking a special moment in life to just let his son know how much he cares about him and how much he cares about his future. And so this dad, which we know Solomon is the author right now, he's imparting wisdom to his kid. He, he's, he's pleading with him to be wise. He's pleading with him to receive his instruction so that he has, his son has the correct understanding of what righteousness is, a correct understanding of what fairness is, a correct understanding of, of what justice is. And he doesn't want his child to learn everything the hard way. He wants his child to learn something an easy way by listening and receiving instruction. Let's start in chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, so that you can create this image of a father sitting his son down to impart wisdom upon him. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are, they are a grateful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So the father is looking his son eye to eye. I just imagine this picture. Sometimes it helps me when I'm reading through scripture to imagine the scenario playing out in my mind. And I just imagine this father sitting down with his son and saying, hey, listen, your mom and I want to impart some wisdom on you. We want you to know how the, word, how the world really works. And so this moment should resonate and inspire us as parents, right? We should routinely be having these heart-to-heart -heart conversations with our kids. And you know, the ages of my kids right now, I find myself having more and more of those heart-to-heart -heart conversations because it's like, now's my chance, right? Now's my chance to really sit down and talk about how the world works routinely. It's just part of the routine in our house. And really, if you don't have these heart-to-heart -heart talks, which we tend to avoid them because they're awkward sometimes, but if you're, if you're not willing to have those heart-to-heart -heart talks with your kids, it's cruel because it's as if you're saying to your kid, hey, figure it out for yourself. It's cruel to not want to impart wisdom on your kids. Worse yet, you're kind of saying to your kid, like, hey, figure it out for yourself and, and the world will inform you of how it works. You'll, you're going to learn everything, especially the hard way, right? And we, but we tend to avoid a lot of those heart-to-hearts because they're just... They're so, they're so awkward at moments. But, you know, the more and more you do it, I think the less awkward it can become. But wouldn't you rather have the, the awkward conversation about a sensitive topic before mistakes are made? Because they're way more awkward after the mistakes are made, right? Like, if you want to have conversations about 
say, marriage and sexuality and relationships and those things that parents and, and their kids tend to avoid like the plague, right? You want to have conversations about those, those awkward things before a mistake is made because if you wait till after the mistake is made, the awkwardness meter goes off the charts. I'll, I'll never forget the moment in which my brother, when he, when he was 15 years old, he's three years older than me, when he came home, I'm sitting on the couch with my mom eating a, a bag of Cheetos. And he comes in and, and just ambushes us with this really awkward moment and says, hey, mom, I got my girlfriend pregnant. Boy, I was like trying not to even crunch the Cheeto anymore. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I just remember being there and I'm like, I'm going to tiptoe slowly and quietly. It was just got so still. And it got so tense, right? It just, that moment was just so incredibly awkward. Like way after the fact, I'm like, dude, don't do that to me, man. Wait till I'm gone. Why'd you do it when I was there? But you know, if you wait until after the mistakes are made, those conversations, wow. If you don't like awkward conversations, have them before the mistakes are made. And you know, kids, Kids, you, you tend to uh, avoid those conversations with your parents for the same reason, right? It's awkward. I don't want to talk to my parents about these relationship things and, and stuff like that. But listen, you would much rather learn about those things from someone who cares about you than someone who doesn't care about you. You can bank on the fact that your mom and dad are out for your best interests. And so it is worth your time to hear what they have to say because they want you to succeed, right? When it comes to sensitive issues, you don't want to Google that stuff. Google doesn't care about you, all right? Google cares about selling ads and making money. Google does not care about you as an individual. You want to get that information from people who love you and want to see you succeed in life. Did you see the image that was painted for us in that, in that passage in, in Proverbs? He says, when you, when you receive this wisdom, it's like garland on your head. It's like pendants around your neck. The image is that of an Olympic champion, this, this victor's wreath around their head, and, and they're standing up there on the podium with their gold medal. He's saying, I want you to be successful. I want, to you, I want you to achieve victory. I don't want you to end up in ruin. And so kids, endure the awkwardness. It's worth your time. So what does he have for his son in this moment? What is it that he's trying to teach him in this heart-to-heart? -heart? Well, let's continue in verses 10 through 19, and we'll see. Here's what he has to say. Here's what he has to say to his son. He says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil. And they make haste to, to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So don't join gangs. 
<laughs> there's more to it than that, right? There's always more to it. When you're reading any, any book in the, in the Bible that's in that wisdom literature genre, it's meant to be concentrated on. It's meant to be considered, pondered. He's teaching something to his son that's much more value, valuable than just simply don't join a gang of thugs. He's, he's teaching his son about the enticement of sin and how it happens in this world. We are attracted to bad decisions because we are sinners, right? We are born in sin. We are drawn to sin. And so we have to fight that sin. And we talk about this all the time, especially when we were in the, the Fruit of the Spirit series. We talked about our old self and our new self. We're a new creation in Christ, Christ, right? But our old self is not dead. So we have to battle sin, battle our old self. That's not me anymore. I am, I am in Christ. I am a new creation. That's not me anymore. So I'm going to go in this direction and not that direction. But in addition to battling the sin in our lives, we not only have to battle the sin in our own hearts and minds, but we've got to battle the sins of others too. There are sinners in this world that are battling sin like you and I. But there are also sinners in this world that aren't active, actively resisting sin. They're promoting sin. They're encouraging sin. And they want you to embrace it. They, want you to, to, they don't want you to resist them. They want you to, to jump on board. And so Solomon's saying, in life, let me tell you how it works. There's going to be people that are going to try to talk you into sinning. Don't, don't consent. Don't give in to that. There's going to be moments in which people try to talk you into doing the wrong thing. And he says, here's how they're going to do it. He gives us this scenario that we can think about. Here's how it typically happens. These sinners that want to entice you to sin, they make the path that's actually a path to ruin, they make it sound easier. They make it sound justifiable. This is how they entice you. So he says, you want precious goods? Don't you want stuff? Well, yeah, we all want stuff. Well, then just take it. Just take it. He says, like Sheol, let's swallow them alive. Sheol is the, is the name, the Hebrew word for the realm of the dead. And so that's, what you, that's the word that they would use to talk about people who were deceased. And so he says, let's just, take, let's just send them to Sheol. Like the Greek word for that would be Hades. Let's just send them to Sheol and take their stuff. You don't, you don't have to work for stuff. You don't have to wait on it. You don't have to earn it. We can just take it. Right? That's how they make it sound justifiable. You can have this without all the labor. You can just have it at the expense of someone else. It's interesting. That's how sin typically works, right? When you sin and sin against someone, you're doing something at their expense. That's how sinners will entice you. Do something, gain what you want, fulfill your desires the wrong way at the expense of someone else. And so Solomon's trying to teach his kid here. Don't ever advance yourself in life at the expense of someone else. You are on a path to ruin if you do that. Right? This, is more than, more, this is about more than just theft and murder. Yes, theft and murder, that's bad. Those things are illegal, right? But he's talking about unjust gain in general. We can fulfill those desires that we have in our hearts in a good way, or we can fulfill those in a bad way. I mean, there's a broader a broader application that I don't want us to miss here. You know, in this world, you can step on people in a way that's even legal. You can step on them to advance yourself in this world. 
You can step on them in a way that makes you think you're, you're running down the right path and, and advancing and gaining in life. And so Solomon is saying that that is an unjust way of life, and it's actually a path to ruin. But the world says it's okay, right? We do this in all sorts of different ways. We can do it in such subtle ways. When you laugh at someone else's misfortune just to make yourself feel better, you're gaining at their expense. You're gaining self-confidence at the expense of someone else's misfortune in life. When you slander someone's reputation just to feel better about yourself. When you gossip, right? Or spread, spread gossip or listen to, to, to gossip just to convince yourself you are superior, you got it together more than them, you are advancing at the expense of someone else and you're walking down a path of ruin. I've known people that have advanced their careers at the expense of their families, people who, who, who fulfill their sexual desires online in ways that are not pure. It's at the expense of someone else and ruining their life and wrecking their life and, and then wrecking your own life in addition to that. We could go down that trail for a long time, couldn't we? We can think of all sorts of legal ways in which we unjustly gain in this world. There are polite ways to step on people. There are religious ways to step on people. Solomon says we're on a path of ruin when we do that. He's warning against unjust gain. And what, the way that he's saying this, he says when we walk down this road, son, when we walk down that road, it will not take us where we think it will. Right? When people are enticing you to walk down an unjust path, what they are peddling to you as the path of life is actually the path of destruction. And I, I love how he teaches this reality, how he flips it on the person who is the sinner here. He says, he says they're self-deceived. Did you catch that? Like he says they think they are, they, are, they are lying and waiting to ambush someone else and take their stuff. And, but what they're actually doing, he says, is they're lying and, and waiting to ambush their own lives. They think, they're, they think they're getting the jump on someone else, but they're actually getting the jump on themselves. It says, the one who is greedy for unjust gain takes away his own life. Takes away his own life. So we see this play out in Scripture in other parts, all, all, all over the place. But the one that just that jumps to your mind, you think of Matthew 26 and Matthew 27, and you can turn there, we'll be in Matthew 27 in just a moment. But if you ever think about Judas and, and his betrayal of Jesus, you think of Judas, he, he was raised, he was a Jew, right? He, he was raised a Jew learning scripture in a time when there was no TV or radio to be distracted by. Like this was what they did. They memorized scripture. Judas would have known Proverbs chapter 1 by heart. I mean, if he knew any of the Proverbs, he would have, he would have known this, because right out of the gates, we're learning this concept in Scripture. And so Judas would have had this passage memorized. He knew the information, but he didn't receive the instruction. We talked about that distinction last week, right? We can know all the information in the Scripture. We can know a whole bunch of stuff, but if we don't receive the instruction, humble ourselves underneath of it, it's really not going to do us any good, right? If we think we are above it, Right? It's not going to do us any good. And so when Judas was offered those 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, was Proverbs chapter 1 a thought on his mind? 
Was, was, was Proverbs, was that floating in there? Did he consider it for a moment and just think, I think I got a better way. I think I'm above this. Judas betrays Jesus, but where did that path take him? Did it take him where he thought it would? Let me read to you Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5. He thought he was walking down the path of life and advancing himself, but where did he end up? It says in chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 3, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. He didn't end up where he thought he would. It looked like a path of life, but it was actually a path to death. And so a theme that we learn in Scripture, we're not only learning this in Proverbs, but it's other places in Scripture too, is that there is a, a just path, a righteous path that leads to life, and there is an unjust path, uh, the wrong path that leads to death. But here's the thing. Here's what Scripture teaches us. It's often the, ca it's often the case that what looks like the path of life ends up turning out to be the path of death. And what looks like the path to death actually ends up being the path to life. That's, that's how we're taught this in Scripture. Let me, let, me, let me just tell you how Jesus says it in Matthew 7. He says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter, it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Now, if you're like me, I like to push back on stuff, right? When you tell me the world works in a specific way, I have this built-in inclination to think that it doesn't work that way. Are you like that too? Especially like when your parents are trying to impart wisdom to you. You ever had one of those moments in which your dad sits you down and your mom sits you down and they're telling you something and like you're already disagreeing with them before they even finish what they're saying. Like I, there's just this part of me that's like that sometimes. And I take that part of me into scripture. When I read scripture, I can't help it. And so I have to battle that. I have to wrestle with that. So there's a part of me that wants to push back. Like, man, I don't know. That wide gate looks kind of, the grass looks pretty green over there. It looks like it is working out pretty well. You say that that's the wide gate, and that it leads to death and destruction and things like that. But when I'm observing people going through that wide gate and going down that path, I don't see as much destruction as what I feel like I should be seeing according to this verse. Right? If you're like me, how many Judases do you know in your life that didn't change their mind and they got away with it? They... They made the wrong choice, the choice everyone knew was the, the wrong choice, but they did it anyway to advance themselves, and it seems to only have profited them. There was no consequences. You know people like this? Like people who just make the, the wrong choice, and everybody else just has to deal with it. They got away with it. Their life is better because of it. Right? People who cheat on the test to pass the class. Had they not cheated on that test, they wouldn't have passed the class. It worked out great. There are people who steal, that destroy, that destroy the lives of those around them, that destroy the lives of their own family. And it seems like they didn't face a single consequence. 
That's, how, that's what I'm seeing in the world. This is what makes me want to puke, right? When I see people who just get away with just taking and they just step on everybody and it seems like their life is going better than everybody else's around them. It's a frustrating thing. And so when you see enough of that happening in the world, you can't help but second guess a truth like this in Scripture, right? Is that how the world works? I've seen firsthand situations like this all the time. I've seen pastors. I know multiple pastors who have stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars from their churches and skipped town, and they never went to jail. No one ever called them on it. They haven't paid back a penny. To this day, their life has only been enhanced by that decision. They didn't have to answer for it. Multiple. And that's just the people I know. I've heard stories beyond that that match that. And it just seems like, man, they ambushed everybody around them and they won. Is it the path of ruin? Then on the flip side, if I keep going, there are people that I know that have made the right choice and they experienced nothing but failure. Like they didn't cheat on the test, so they failed the class, right? I know people who said no to the bribe and they're poor now. I've known people who did the hard work to fix the marriage only not to be rewarded. And so here's what we have to keep in mind though. We who are believers, we know that this is not the whole story. And so when we read these Proverbs and we see this experience in the world, what we know and what we reason through and what we find is that this is generally true in the world right now. When we read this proverb about someone being enticed and the sinner is going to step on everybody and take everything that they want and they're going to share their goods and all that stuff, we know that that doesn't work out very often, but sometimes it does seem to work out like that. So these Proverbs, they are generally true now, but they will always be true eventually. Because this isn't all there is, right? In this life, they are generally true, but in the life to come, it will always be true. No one has gotten away with anything. No one will go through eternity without having their sins uncovered, right? Everyone will answer. We believe God is the judge and he will judge sin. Not a single sin will go unpunished. And so right now, we as believers, we're living in the right now but not yet, right? Jesus would teach it this way in Matthew 16, 24. We'll let him clear up what I'm trying to say. It says, then, Je then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then listen to this. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So we as believers, we find our life in Christ. We find our security, our hope in the gospel of Jesus. That's where we find our salvation, but it's also where we find our identity. It's how we cope with the unjustness of this world. God is just, and he will deal with all of the unjustness. 
It will be made right. But there will be moments that we live in this life and it feels like it's not being made right. Right? You, you got you to understand, like, when Judas took the 30 pieces of silver and betrayed Jesus with a kiss, right, there were days that went by where his disciples were Judas's friends, Jesus' disciples, followers of Christ, where they're like, wow, he went the unjust path and it worked out great for him. There, were, there was a time, a season of time in which it looked like the good guy lost and the bad guy won, right? We're always going to experience moments like that in this life, whether it lasts for five years or ten years or two days or whatever it may be. But eventually, this proverb will 100% come true. In the case of Judas and Jesus, right? By Sunday, Judas was in the grave. And Jesus was alive. Because God will make all things right. And the gospel is our assurance of that. And so again, as we walk this difficult path, we'll have moments in which we might feel like we got gypped. We might feel like we got duped. I took the hard way and I'm doing life working harder than what I feel like I have to because that easy way looks so attractive, so enticing, and, and people are encouraging me to go that way. And, and, and we may go through a season of life that is extended for years in which we feel like this proverb is not true. But because of the gospel, we know that it is, a, it is an utter certainty. It will be true in eternity. Every sin will be punished and those who took the narrow gate, those who chose the hard path, the path of righteousness, the path of fairness, right, the, the path of justice, those will be the ones who are on the path that end in life and not destruction. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the book of Proverbs. I'm, I'm just thrilled to be in this book of the Bible. Lord, we have so much to glean upon, so much to consider. I pray that each and every week that we walk into one of these Proverbs, we would be open-minded to what all could be there, that we would be willing to take the time to receive that instruction, to look under every rock, to consider every angle, to humble ourselves below your teaching, Lord, that we could gain your wisdom. Help us to be the child who is willing to listen. Help us to be the child that understands how much our Heavenly Father loves us and cares for our future, that takes serious the instruction that we receive. Lord, help us not to be the fool who thinks we know better. Help us not to be the the fool that thinks we are above this or have a better way. Lord, you are working all things to our good. Even if we can't see it, we will eventually see you face to face and it will be crystal clear that all you told us was true. And so, Father, I pray that we would live with that hope. And Lord, I pray for those relationships here, Lord, that those parent-child relationships, that this season of study could be an opportunity to in increase those awkward conversations that are so worthwhile. I pray that you would empower 
the mom and the dad here that have put off conversations. I pray that you would empower the student here to receive that instruction and to be okay with it, to be okay with sitting in the awkwardness because they know it's all to your glory ultimately. Father, we wish to gain this wisdom through your spirit. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.